0: anticipation. That's what you've all been doing just then, waiting to see how I'm going to navigate my technology struggles up here. Uh, But when you're not waiting for the preacher to start preaching, uh, there's all sorts of other things we like to wait for in our lives. Now, uh, my eldest daughter loves a good countdown, uh, and I've got about four or five countdowns in an app on my phone that we will sporadically check from time to time. Things like, holidays that are coming up or people's birthdays, Christmas, those kind of things. Some of those are useful for me uh, as I uh, seek to work out, you know, how many weeks I've got until my life's about to get hectic with Christmas. And now, you're going to wait again because my iPad's back, so I'm just going to change right now. Now, oh, come on, there we go. Rightio. Uh, now, when we look are uh, looking forward to something, it can help us, can't it? Uh, if you imagine... Uh uh, Amity at her, her previous school, obviously, not a current one, uh, if she's having a, a tough time or she's not really liking the day uh, that much, you know, having a countdown for the upcoming holiday or something can be a way to get through. Or looking forward to the next birthday and thinking about the presents she might buy for the person is a, is a way for building excitement. As we come to this last uh, part of Colossians, the Colossians, we see, are to remember both what, is, what God has done for them. That's been a big theme in the letter, who Jesus is and what he's done for them. But they're also going to look forward, we'll see, to what God will do uh, when he returns and uh, and have that mindset of anticipation as they seek to live with Christ as Lord. Because it is our last week, uh, it's good to recap. Uh, and we've been uh, in this letter now for six uh, weeks, this is the seventh, uh, and it 's been really great, I think, to track with Paul uh, as he 's been uh, uh, helping the Colossians to live out their faith in Jesus. You remember, if you can, all those weeks ago that when we started, we saw this is Paul's letter to this church in Colossae, and Paul, who didn't plant the church, but he's so thankful to God for the way that they have responded to Jesus and that their faith is working itself out in love. So back in chapter 1, verse 3, We always thank God, Paul says, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people. And then as he's gone on in uh, the next part of that chapter, he's been praying for their faith to grow. Uh, He's been reminding them about the centre of their faith being Jesus. He's told them in uh, the latter half of chapter one and the start of chapter two about how hard he's working for the church so that they might grow in their faith. Uh, and through all of this, it's, it's kept coming back to this, this one key idea that Jesus is enough. Jesus is all they need. They don't need to add anything else, no rules, no regulations, no religious rituals. It's all about Jesus and the gospel. That's all you need, and you need to just keep working that out in your life. He's supreme, and he talks about the supremacy of Christ through uh, uh, the last bit of chapter 1. Uh, And his encouragement to them, having reminded them of this centrality of Christ, is that they build their lives on him and him alone. Chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And having reminded them to do that, he goes on to talk about the power of what Jesus has done on the cross and why it's so important for them to hold on to that teaching because it's the road to true freedom. And so as they live with Christ as Lord, remembering all he's done for them, Paul then says that the Christian life is about responding to that by remembering who God has made you in Christ and seeking to be who you are. So chapter 3 begins, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Uh, And then being who you are, you put to death the old self and you put on the new self. So in chapter 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry, and then putting on the new self. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This process is one that is ongoing for the life of the Christian. Christ is Lord. He's died for my sins. He's paid the price. He's supreme over all. I now need to build my life on this foundation by putting to death what is of the old self and putting on what is the new self. And that's the ongoing process of the Christian life in all of our life. And uh, Paul shows us that that process even goes right down to the lives of uh, how, our, our lives in our household. And we saw last week in chapter 3, verse 18 to 4, 1, the different ways that Paul instructs uh, Christians to live in the, in the way they relate to one another in their homes. Christ is Lord and being transformed by that truth literally transforms every aspect of who we are. There's no no part too private for God. The gospel impacts and transforms every part of us. Well, in our reading today, Paul gives two final instructions at the start for living with Christ as Lord, and they centre around prayer and proclamation. And... Last week, if we were being instructed in the very most private parts of our life in our homes together, this week the instructions seem to move to a little bit more of an, an outward focus. I mean, obviously prayer is a bit of an individual thing, but even the kind of prayer he calls us to uh, is with a view towards uh, uh, looking beyond ourselves. So let's take a look. You've got your Bibles there. It's on page 955 uh, of the Bibles in the church. Chapter four, verse two begins. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, what do we notice about Paul's instructions or encouragements here to the church and its prayerfulness? Well, the first thing that I think jumps out is that word devote. Devote yourselves to prayer. I wonder if that describes your prayer life, a devotion to prayer. What Paul's uh, doing here is highlighting not just that prayer is a thing that we need to do as Christians, but that prayer actually ought to be a natural part of who we are. Devote yourselves to prayer is Paul's way of saying You need to just pray a lot and pray regularly. Now, I think it is about the regularity of prayer, not the intensity of prayer, if that makes sense. So you might read Devote Yourselves to Prayer and think that what Paul's calling for is passionate prayer, uh, intense prayer, arms up in the air prayer, you know, lying on the ground prayer. You can do all that too if you want to. But that's, I don't think, the instruction here. The instruction is to habitual perseverance, be devoted to the act of talking to God about all things and everything. And there's a way in which he he says we're to be devoted, doesn't it? By being watchful and thankful. Well, what does that mean? The word watchful uh, is a word often used in the New Testament to speak about the return of Christ, which gets to my opening illustration of anticipation. Uh, If you look in places like Matthew 24, 42, Jesus says, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Or in Luke 12, verse 37, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table. Or in Revelation 16, verse 15, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake or who watches and remains clothed, so as not to go naked and shamefully exposed. This word is about remembering and and having in mind that Jesus is coming back. Living with Christ as Lord is about both remembering who Jesus is and what he's done and and, and the next logical step is that he's coming again. I wonder if when you pray the return of Christ is front and centre of your mind at all. Because if it is, it kind of changes what you pray for, doesn't it? It's a different kind of prayer to pray regularly and in a devoted way, thinking Christ is going to come back at some point. Soon, maybe. Certainly, if you pray regularly with uh, the idea of Christ's return on your mind, it's going to give your prayers an evangelistic and outward focus, isn't it? Because if you think about all the people you know and all of uh, the people that you're interacting with on a daily basis and you remember that the gospel says that to anyone to be saved, they need to put their trust in the Lord Jesus and believe that He is the Lord and that He's died for their sins. And you think about the people you know and you think about the fact that Christ's returning at any moment. You pray a different kind of prayer for them, don't you? You pray with a different kind of intensity for them. It gives an evangelistic and outward focus, at, just as Paul instructs in this section. And I think having a watchful mindset as we pray, that is thinking of Christ's return, helps us as we seek to put to death our sin, as we seek to be the kind of people Paul's called us to be, remembering who we are and uh, having our minds in the right place, seated in the heavenlies with Christ, like we read about in the start of chapter 3. It it kind of gives an urgency to the, the process of dying to sin and putting on the new clothes because as we do that we know well this way when Jesus comes back I'll be a little more ready for him also when you're fighting your sin it helps you to remember that uh, like when you're struggling to kill sin and put on righteousness that's hard work right it, it you know and you realize how much further you've got to do well when you're when you're constantly doing that and you've got a mind to the return of Christ how good is it going to be when Jesus comes back and that process is finished how good will that be it motivates our de- devotion to prayer so Paul's calling us to regular prayer with our mindset on the return of Christ and allowing that reality to shape how we pray. He's also calling us to thankful prayer, being watchful and thankful. And what we've seen as we've been working our way through Colossians is this is actually a really important part of the gospel working itself out in our lives, thankfulness. Uh, If you get who Jesus is, if you get what he's done for you, then you can't help but be thankful And it's come up again and again and again in Colossians, hasn't it? Let me just take you through. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 12, giving joyful thanks to the Father, for he has qualified you to share in in this inheritance of the holy people in the kingdom of light. Or Colossians 2, verse 7, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. And verse 17 of chapter 3, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And we had a few weeks ago, maybe some of you are still doing it, that thankfulness challenge, didn't we? Trying to think uh, of, of something that we can be thankful to God for every day. And it shouldn't be too hard. In fact, it's, it's easy because if there's nothing else... There's God himself. There's the gospel. And so we're called to regular prayer with our minds set on Christ and his return and and that's going to naturally produce in us thankful prayers as well because it's what the gospel does. But there's more to the prayer than just that, isn't there? Paul's call is also... That they pray he asked them to pray for him verse 3 and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should Paul wants them to be devoted to prayer to have their minds on Christ to be thankful but he also wants them to pray for others and particularly for those who are spending their time preaching the gospel to others. He wants to pray that they'll do it clearly, that they'll have opportunities, that they'll be faithful. And I think we need to make sure that our prayer life is similar, that we pray regular prayers shaped by the return of Christ, overflowing with thankfulness and seeking God to work powerfully through all those who are serving him, that they might bring the gospel message clearly to all people. So I want you to just think about your prayer life over the last week and think, well, how many times did you pray for the the ministry of others, the gospel ministry of others? When was the last time you prayed your own personal prayer for, say, Abraham and his team in Cambodia or Morris and Amanda and their work in Cambodia or some other CMS missionaries that you might follow, or, I don't know, whoever it is that God has put on your heart that you know who's working in the, in the, in the, for the gospel somewhere in this world or somewhere in this state. When was the last time you prayed for another church? What about you know, the Mission Aviation Fellowship that we've just been featuring? What about for the people who are helping out at Alpha if you're not? or one of the other ministries in our church that maybe you're not involved in i think a very simple thing you could do is every time you go for a drive and you drive past a church why don't you just pray for that church and pray that they would have opportunities to proclaim the gospel boldly and you might never know how god answers that prayer Or uh, Kerry's not here today, but when Kerry's back, ask her. She's got about 4,000 different things that tell you about different people who are doing different things for the gospel. Get a couple and pray. Be devoted with the return of Christ in your mind, overflowing with thankfulness, praying for the gospel to be proclaimed, both in your life but especially also in the lives of others. And when we pray like that, when we pray that the gospel would spread and that there'd be opportunities to proclaim it, then that's inevitably going to lead to our own opportunities to preach the gospel, which is what Paul moves to next in verses 5 and 6, this idea of our own proclamation. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, verse 5. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul here has turned his mind to how we relate as Christians to people who are not within the Christian community. And his instruction is that we have to be wise. Now, that's difficult, isn't it? Because it's different in different circumstances, over different issues, uh, with different people and different relationships. (laughs) We have to be wise. Unfortunately, I can't stand here today and say, here's three things you must do in order to be a wise actor towards those outside the church, because it's just a bit more complicated than that. I'm not in your relationships. I don't know your people. I don't know their their struggles. Uh, you know, I can give you some broad ideas, but nothing too specific But I suspect the first thing we want to do if we want to put these words of Paul into practice is that we should pray like Paul, who you might remember back at the start in chapter 1, prays like this, verse 9 and 10, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in knowledge of God. We need God's help to be wise in the way we relate to those outside. And we need to pray that we would be full of the wisdom and knowledge of God and empowered by the Spirit in order to do that. Because as we grow in our faith, as we grow in Christian maturity, as we daily remember who we are in Christ and as we're putting to death the old self and putting on the new self, that's going to inevitably lead to us making wiser decisions. I think it is worth saying this, that wisdom doesn't necessarily mean being liked. I think we like to read that into the text sometimes, that if you act wisely, it will mean people think you're a cool dude. I think Paul... Took his own advice right he sought to act wisely to in the way he acted towards outsiders and you remember in verse 4 he reminds us that he's in chains for the gospel his wise acting has led to jail likewise I take it that Jesus never acted unwisely in the way he related to outsiders and yet it was outsiders who ganged up and killed him Wisdom doesn't mean uh, everything goes well, I don't think. Sometimes wisdom means making a strong defence of the faith regardless of the consequences. But having said that, I don't think it means that if you get ridiculed, jailed or killed, you've been wise. It's not uh, not a flip side of the same coin. That's the thing about wisdom, isn't it? It's difficult and it's hard and it depends on the circumstances. So we need to be wise about how we relate and we need to weigh up all the different things and think about how we're going to relate to those outside the church. And sometimes some of us will disagree on how to do that in the most effective way and that's okay. Be wise and make the most of your opportunities. We need to take our chances to tell people about Jesus when the opportunity arises. I'm sure all of us have had a moment where we got home from a conversation and we thought, ah, man, that person was basically asking me to, to sort of tell them about Jesus, but I just didn't do it. We need to take our chances. Because we don't know when we'll get another opportunity, do we? And when we do get the opportunity, we need to make sure we speak well. Verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let me read to you what one scholar says about putting this into practice. Paul is calling on us as Christians to speak with our unbelieving neighbors and friends with gracious, warm and winsome words, or with the purpose of being able to answer unbelievers. By putting it this way, Paul assumes that unbelievers will be raising questions about the faith of the Colossian Christians, questions that may be neutral or even perhaps hostile. An appropriate Christian response will, of course, communicate the content of the gospel but it will also be done in a manner that will try and make the gospel attractive. As we live our lives remembering Christ is Lord, remembering who we are in Christ, putting to death the old self, putting on the new self, with our mindset set on the return of Christ, opportunities are going to come up. As we're praying, opportunities are going to come up. And we need to be ready and we can get ready, I think, in two ways. One, by just being prayerful people who are, who are growing and, and there'll be a natural thing. But also, we can practice. Uh, the first time you talk to someone, because an opportunity arises, you probably won't do as good a job as you think you could have done as the hundredth time. It's just how things go. But we're not in control of how people respond to the gospel. God is. So you can relax and just have a go. Well, Paul then moves on to all those names at the end from verses 7 to 18, a bunch of personal greetings and specific conversations that were happening between him and the Colossian church and different people they knew. And uh, I've already been up here for 25 minutes, so I'm not going to spend lots of time delving through uh, what this is all about. But I think what I will say about these verses is that it's useful to remember that the Colossian church was a real church. It had real people in it, in a real place, just like our church here today. It had people from all different walks of life doing all sorts of different things who God had called into all sorts of different roles and places, and they were all just figuring out what it meant to live with Christ as Lord together. And so if they can do it, we can do it too. Well, my prayer for us is that we'll be a prayerful, evangelistic community that eagerly awaits our Lord's return and puts sin to death as we work day by day to be who we are in Christ our Lord. Amen.